Welcome to Sustainable Futures, the sustainability podcast from Kantar, the world's leading marketing data and analytics company. In each episode, we speak with senior experts from a wide range of disciplines to bring broad understanding to complex topic areas and shine a light on the most pressing sustainability issues facing business and marketing, all designed to help marketers create sustainable futures for brands and business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Kantar's Sustainable Futures webinar, where every two weeks we explore the impact of social environmental issues on the world of business and brands. And we do this with guests from industry, finance, academia, social business and NGOs. My name is Jonathan Hall and I'm managing partner of Kantar's sustainable transformation practice. Kantar is a world leading data analytics and consulting business and the sustainable transformation practice works at the intersection of brands, people and sustainability. And I'm delighted to have with me today Hamza Sawa from Reckitt and Monica Fresh from Unis Social Business. Welcome both. Thank you for having us. Thanks very much. Great to be here. So um, it'd be great to just kick off with uh, some some introductions. So Hamza, would you would you mind just giving us a bit more um, detail about yourself? My name is Hamza Sawa. Um, so first of all, I'd start with um, I'm father of two, Sophia, my six-year-old, and Harris, my, my four-year-old. And they very much give me my purpose in my life to create a better future and, and world for them. Um, and in my professional life, I try to live that purpose day in, day out. I'm the Global Impact and Partnerships Director at Reckitt. And for those who don't know Reckitt, Reckitt is a health and hygiene company making brands such as Dettol, Durex, Lysol, Harpic, and a range of other consumer health brands. And my role within the company is to... I lead on our social impact investment fund, which supports the delivery of the SDGs and also helps to build value for Reckitt. So to give some context, we invest in areas directly linked to the portfolio of the business. So looking at hygiene as a foundation of health. So we're investing in water, sanitation, hygiene and promoting universal access, um, linking into our hygiene brands, uh, working on sexual reproductive health and rights with our Durex brand, investing to promote universal health coverage and access to healthcare, and then finally on maternal and child health. So the fund operates in over 45 countries and it's reached impacted over 10 million people over the last few years. Um, I'm also a One Young World ambassador, so believe very much in, in the power of young people to affect change and drive an impact, and also uh, a global fellow of the League of Entrepreneurs, so looking at how individuals can make systems level change within large organizations and use the capabilities and resources for good. So great to be here and look forward to the conversation. Brilliant. Thanks, Hamza. Monica? Yeah, I'm also very excited to be here today. I'm the Managing Director at Yona Social Business Corporate, so Unis Social Business mainly does uh, two things, uh, which is we make social businesses bigger and big business more social. Um, that's the way that I like to explain that. Um, so it's based on the idea of our co-founder, uh, Professor Mohamed Yunus, um, who received the Nobel Peace Prize in 2006. Um, and in his acceptance speech, he also introduced the idea um, of social business, which is basically a business that exists to solve a social problem. So um, it is financially sustainable, um, but those revenues are used as a tool to achieve positive impact. Um, so he basically built it up um, with others, of course, in Bangladesh. And it's now a model that's been scaled throughout the world. Um, and we see it taught at business schools um, and we see it applied in many different sectors. And we at YSV, we support social entrepreneurs um, in five countries, mainly in the global south. Um, so over the last um, 12 years, that's how long YSB has existed. 
um, we invested um, roughly over $18 million in social business, including co-investments. And we also partner with large companies, uh, which is what I do with my team. Um, so together with corporations like Racket, um, we do co-venture building with entrepreneurs. So that means corporations build social businesses themselves um, with what they do best in their business area. We also do accelerators, which will be the topic of today. And we do social procurement, uh, which means integrating social businesses into corporate value chains. And I've been doing that for around two years. And before that, I co-founded and led um, an innovation and transformation consultancy based in Berlin, where I'm still based at, uh, which is called Dark Horse, um, that also helps large companies to transform um, and be more innovative. Um, so the topic of today is really, really close to my heart as we talk about innovation and social impact. Thank you both. It's a privilege to have you here. And I'm so looking forward to the story that you've got to tell us about the partnership you've had. So why don't we start at the beginning, Monica? Um, because I'm sure some of the listeners you know, may know more or less about what an accelerator is. So why don't we um, just get into some definition? So an accelerator is a concept that started roughly um, to, to be more prominent, I would say about 10 to 15 years ago, which is uh, where corporations, uh, large companies, use their resources to support external organizations, mainly startups, in an area that's related to their business through pro bono consulting, um, sometimes also through financial incentives or investments. Um, generally, the goal um, used to be or still is M&A, um, so insourcing innovations from um, external startups, companies, um, but also learning um, and applying how to be innovative themselves. What we see now is a growing trend for impact accelerators, which basically is um, a parallel model. Um, so corporations support social businesses, social enterprises, um, to, to benefit, to access, um, to be part of and learn from um, how they combine profit and profit, purpose, um, so to access the impact, but also um, to be more um, impactful themselves. Um, so that's, that's the general model, a large organization supporting an impact organization and in turn also being supported by the social entrepreneurs in the way of how they combine impact on business. Lovely. Very clear. Thank you. Okay. So, so we've got um, some definitions there. What I'd like to do now, Hansa, is turn to you and, and really try and understand, you know, why Racket does this, why it involves itself in, in social impact strategy and what the um, fit is of that social impact strategy with the overarching Racket strategy, how it all fits together. Sure. And this is often a million dollar question, right? How, how, do, how do we really begin to, um, kind of integrate impact at the heart of core strategy. And I think the evolution of from CSR, where we were back in time, more towards purpose, and now increasingly as we get towards impact, I think there is a massive shift that we've seen over the last few years. So from a record perspective, I think it starts with the corporate purpose, um, which is about the relentless pursuit to create a cleaner and healthier world. And of course, to create a cleaner, healthier world, it's simply not possible with the fundamental access gaps that exist within society. So when we talk about access, we think about access to health, hygiene and nutrition as a right and not a privilege. And I think that's absolutely kind of gearing and driving the direction of of our strategy and of course clearly the impact uh, strategy that we're leaning into so if you if you look at some of the numbers which are incredibly um 
shocking and continue to be uh, disarming, really. By 2030, there's still predicted to be 1.6 billion people lacking access to safely managed drinking water. Um, Still 2.8 billion who will be lacking safely managed sanitation. And, you know, over 1.9 billion people still um, will not have access to basic hand hygiene facilities within their home in their communities. So with a business which is built around health and hygiene, and focused on improving um, improving health and improving health outcomes, there's simply no way a business like Reckitt can materially progress and grow if it's not tackling some of these fundamental societal um, and often environmental issues that are linked to the access gaps. And of course, that also translates to the core portfolios. I've talked there about the role of access to health and hygiene, but of course, the business is, is broken down into its, into its units. So we look at that from the likes of Dettol, Lysol, Harpic, which are fundamentally all about improving health, reducing the burden of illness via the product portfolio, whether it be a hand washing solution, um, whether it be a toilet cleaner, whether it be a surface disinfectant. Now, the strategy is really built around by improving the access gap that I, I referred to earlier, you're essentially kind of laying the foundations and building the markets of tomorrow. So by improving access in communities, by really focusing on higher burden settings, lower income populations, the base of the pyramid, as we often refer to it, we're able to graduate people up the sanitation ladder, gradually begin to start to see our solutions into their homes, more, more importantly, improve their lives, improve their health, improve their livelihoods. I think that's really a, really a fundamental core part of, of the business strategy. It's, it's good for the business. It's good for society. Um, and it continues to create a glide path over time that can be mutually beneficial for, for the world. And I think the same can be applied to other businesses. If you look at the, score, the, the scourge of you know AIDS and HIV and the challenges around sexual reproductive health and rights, Durex being a global um, leader in sexual health has a fundamental uh, obligation and, and right to tackle some of these issues, leveraging its poor, poor, core portfolio in, in countries around the world. And the same applies from a, from a nutrition perspective. So I'd say um, coming back to the linkage, I think everything that we're doing from an impact perspective in the Fight for Access Fund, which I referred to earlier, each of our investments, we treat any of these investments as as we would any other part of the business. We see this as investments for long-term systemic changes, working with our partners like the Unisocial Business to really begin to kind of create the create the, the, the future social economy that we want to see. And the impact accelerator, coming back to t- today's conversation, I think it's absolutely critical. How do we leverage the power of business and the role of the private sector to catalyze and shift um, shift the narrative and really scour the world for the most promising social innovation, tackling these issues and begin to provide our capabilities and the enormous capabilities of a global corporate like Reckitt, its medical, its R&D capabilities, its supply chain um, proficiencies, our marketing expertise. How do we leverage all of these capabilities to grow these social entrepreneurs who are creating these impacts building access in communities, and then, of course, engaging our people within that process to provide mentorship, skills, skills-based volunteering, um, not only developing their careers, but also helping the entrepreneurs to grow and thrive. So that's just a little bit how, how we think about it, and I'm sure we'll get into more of that more of that detail. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks so much, Hamza. I mean, I guess many of the listeners won't really be aware of the work that Racket and other corporations do in this space. Uh, and actually probably just see, you know, your products on, on the supermarket shelves. But, you know, what you described as being good for business and good for society, that, that sense of enlightened self-interest, but also what you were saying as an obligation of corporations to, to tackle these issues um, on the one hand. 
while also recognizing from a commercial perspective that you're building the markets of tomorrow. So you, you're you're holding those two things in in your hands at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's been, you know, over time, the contradiction and often the the debate is around profit and purpose kind of go hand in hand, right? And I think often we are, we have these conversations about it has to be either or. So either you're maximizing your profit and business is there to kind of drive profit to, to no end, um, or we're going to become a charitable organization, an NGO who's just going to try and solve the world's problems. And often to, to drive that systemic change and the systems change that's required requires business to rethink that model. And I think it has been over the last few years. Rethink the model, rethink the role within society. You know, businesses have, have been a, a cornerstones of communities for you know, for, for centuries, you know, the role of trade, the role of creating jobs, boosting the economy, um, helping to create pathways for, for, for growth. Um, so I think the, the importance of business being able to couple the two together and go hand in hand. So with the, particularly with a business like Reckitt, with the portfolio being native to solving these problems, whether it be health and, and hand washing or sexual health, as I mentioned earlier, I think that the two very much go hand in hand. Uh, you know, we, we can't thrive as a business unless we're, of course, profitable, but we're not going to be profitable unless we're solving these problems at the same time. So I think the gearing of bringing the two worlds together is absolutely critical. And I think increasingly the emphasis is on the broader stakeholder economy. You know, how are we really kind of beginning to sh- help support government, support the community, support stakeholders in which we're living in? And that simply just goes beyond the traditional bottom line. We talk about the triple bottom line. We talk about our role within kind of building that prosperity for, for the nation, and I think that that's only going to continue. And I think this is a, a way of how we can begin to think about um, our role within that, not leaning into um, the traditional kind of philanthropic philanthropic mindset, but actually thinking about how do we leverage our skills and our capabilities of, of the forty five thousand people we have globally. I think that's where the accelerator and together with the, with the Unis team, we've really been able to lean into the power of our the talent that we have. And often this talent, whether it's supply, whether it's legal, whether it's marketing, is that's what, that's absolutely what's required from some of these smaller startups that are trying to thrive, trying to solve these problems in the local communities. So it's about leveraging our global scale for local hyper-localization and hyper-local impact. So that's how we, we try to kind of couple the two. That's very helpful. Thank you. So we've talked so far about the notion of an accelerator, what an accelerator is. We've talked about um, how Reckitt sees its role in this broader stakeholder economy and um, the shift from traditional philanthropic models and mindsets. What I'd like to do now is just move on to something concrete, because obviously you've been working together, and, and I'd love to hear the, the journey of what um, the accelerators looked like. I don't know, um, Monica, do you want to, to kick off? Sure. Um, so as I said, um, accelerators are all about using uh, corporate resources to amplify and grow social businesses and in turn um, also corporate employees but also corporate um, structures and processes can learn from those social um, entrepreneurs. Um, So how do we do that? Um, In the past, we at Unis Social Business had the privilege of running over 30 plus cycles of uh, corporate impact accelerators. And based on that, we developed a a blueprint that is based on several steps for accelerators as a service. Um, so first we start with a needs assessment for both um, the corporation. So what is it that our impact partner wants from that? Um, and Hamza already shared a few examples of that. 
um, that can be to scale the the impact that the corporation wants to see in the world. Um, it can be tied to integration into the value chain. It can be about brand equity. Um, we see a lot of benefits in terms of HR, in terms of talent um, acquisition, talent retention. Um, so we sit with our partners and really um, talk about what, what's your business goal in that? How is that relevant for you? Um, we also dig deep into local ecosystems of the impact area that's relevant. Um, in our case, what we did with Reckit or still do with Reckit, um, this is WASH, um, access to um, water, sanitation, and hygiene. Um, and we've done two cycles so far in Brazil and in South Africa. And we really, really um, go deep into local ecosystems to really find problems that are worth solving through that accelerators. Um, based on that, uh, we do a sourcing um, process. Um, so we really look for entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs that really fit the program. Um, and that is about their impact model. That's about their business model. Uh, we are looking for mature businesses. So businesses that are beyond um, an idea stage. We want more than just um, a slide. Uh, we want a model that already operates um, because, as I said, it's about scaling and about growing. Um, so businesses should have um, a financial and an operating model already. Um, and based on that selection, um, usually though we get 100 um, plus applications. Uh, we do interviews um, and narrow that down through a selection process with the corporate partners to a cohort of six to 10 social entrepreneurs, um, depending on the program. Um, and that is really when we kick off the actual program, which is based on a curriculum um, that has different elements. And that is then uh, tailor-made to the specific needs of the corporate partner, but also the social entrepreneurs. Um, and that training, uh, that, that program will have trainings, um, boot camps, masterclasses, um, but also coaching and mentoring on different topics that are relevant for the social businesses like leadership, product market fit, uh, customer journey, um, financial sustainability, operating model, HR. So everything that you need to run and scale a business, but also very importantly, impact topics like impact measurement um, and management, um, organizational excellence in, in terms of how you serve the, the community, um, so all things that are relevant um, to really access and to really grow um, the network um, at, at the communities that they serve. Uh, we also do storytelling workshops, for example, so that after the programs, the social entrepreneurs are very well uh, suited to also apply for further funding or connect to the corporation. Um, that is basically structured through um, boot camps that are intense days where we come together mostly digitally now um, and apply that um, that content um, and make that really accessible. And in between, the social entrepreneurs still run their business. That's very important. Um, so it's not a full-time immersion program for six months or so, um, but it's designed in a way that they can still continue um, to, to really run their business and apply the knowledge that they get in the boot camps um, in between. And the expertise is mainly delivered um, through experts from our network, but the main input comes from corporate mentors um, and corporate pro bono consultants. We have lead mentors um, who really are devoted or connected uh, to one of the social business throughout the whole cycle and topic mentors that come in for specific topics um, like financial operations or um, HR recruiting. Um, and through that, we can really design a program that answers to, to the specific needs 
um, of the social entrepreneurs and the specific impact area that we have. Thanks, Monica. And Hamza, could you talk us to us a bit about um, Darisha and Cassini Water and what the the value has been to to record as a corporation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. I think what was really critical, I mean, we, we launched this in the accelerator, um, looking for wash innovation in South Africa and Brazil initially, which has now kind of come to the end. And I think in both countries, I think what was really clear um, early on, it was that this is fundamentally linked to their core strategy as a business. So take South Africa as an example, where we have brands such as obviously Dettol being a household name in South Africa, the likes of Harpic, um, Jik, which is a local cleaning brand. What became really clear early on when we had alignment from our regional directors and brand teams is that this is going to have a really clear link to um, a couple of things, right? One was the brand strategies. So actually, by improving access in communities, you have broader opportunities for driving penetration, growing reputation, beginning to kind of enter into communities that we simply haven't had access to. So it was appealing for them. It would link into their purpose strategy. Um, and hence, the brand teams got excited, got involved, and suddenly this became almost like a brand-driven, brand-led initiative to really help to scale these social businesses. And of course, what the brand teams bring with them are incredible skills, you know, that they bring together um, what I think you mentioned there with um, with Cassini, when we, we talk about the likes of uh, marketing capability and brand building. In this case, we talk about quality um, and the role of like a Dettol. How does how does Dettol think about its logistics and its SQRC and its and its broader um, ability to go from 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 raw material through to a consumer's home? We've got people within the business, um, such as Darusha and others, who have been able to leverage their core talents, get involved with the entrepreneur, and actually begin to almost co-create and write strategies for these companies like Cassini, looking at water filtration, looking at quality, looking at how to mobilize their space and their resources more effectively. Um, and it's also been a huge enabler for uh, our HR colleagues. Um, and the role of um, the role of HR has been instrumental with regards to talent and leadership development. And I, I can't and can't stress that enough. I think initially we went into this with a very much um, kind of marketing kind of lens, but I think you then realize that, hang on, you're leveraging the, the entirety of, of, of your workforce on the ground from a marketing, from a HR perspective. I think we found that our HR teams are getting involved in policy development, um, looking at um, kind of fair practices when it comes to recruitment, retention, um, looking at packages for, for teams on the ground. How do you grow your capabilities and your operationally? Um, and also our supply and logistics teams, which are really critical in helping to get involved and start to think think through the some of the tougher challenges when it comes to scaling these businesses. You know, how do you really kind of move um, your solutions into new communities? How do you go from A to B when it comes to sourcing materials, sourcing product, thinking about CapEx uh, and these things? So we, we, we were able to, in both the, both the countries, we had three nodes in a way of how we were going to try and kind of integrate. One was how do we kind of bring in our brand teams and, and go through that and it become translate these social businesses to become purpose partners, which is a huge shift that we've been able to do in the last 12 months. So rather than a company and a social business that's creating this impact, how do you bring them inside what we're trying to do and leverage their capabilities to kind of further both causes, which I think is a, is a huge win. The second one was how do you integrate them into the value chain? Um, and there's some incredible stories coming out there of how we've been able to leverage leverage that, which I'll, I'll get into later with uh, the likes of Ecosoft Bank and others, about how do you integrate them into your value chain? How do you begin to link through to factories? And the third one is actually by gearing up the the um, 
the social businesses and accelerating them over 12 months, both commercially, socially, where's the opportunity of investment? Because that's the other kind of the third leg where we, the third node where we look to see, you know, this full scale integration, integration with, with brand, with value chain, with potential to kind of acquire. So suddenly we were able to leverage these people to get in and really have that impact with, with some of these businesses. And Ecoba is a great example of how they're now linking into Dettol's purpose work, you know, portable hand washing facilities going into schools. It's critical to what Dettol's trying to do with regards to its hygiene education amongst young people. Ecoba have a very similar mission with regards to portable hand washing facilities so the two going to go perfectly hand in hand and able to scale one another and mutually beneficial super interesting about how you went in with the um focus on marketing but actually that you found the dhl and logistics um benefits as well and then also that that um element of building mutual benefit and integrating into the value chain so fascinating learnings there i'd love to turn to what's next um so i know there are plans for nigeria Monica, I don't know whether you could pick that up for us. Sure. Um, so after the two cycles that we did in Brazil and uh, South Africa, um, the next cycle will be in Nigeria, which is a, a very interesting, um, very innovative um, ecosystem there um, in terms of general startups and also a very thriving ecosystem for impact. Um, so Hamza, I think you can share a little bit about the selection process of how you decided um, on Nigeria, and we at Unisocial Business um, are super excited to um, now also do that in West Africa. Yeah, absolutely. I think Nigeria for us was um, a natural extension of the program. I think we looked at uh, a number of things. I think one was the the kind of the local country priorities um, and impact, um, local country priorities from a business perspective. And of course, with our Nigerian business having uh, the likes of Datol and Harpik and the mission to prevent the burden of disease, which is, you know, if you think about Nigeria, you know, 73%, the stat is frightening, 73% of diarrheal diseases are actually linked to poor access to water, sanitation and hygiene. And if, if the brand's purpose within the, within the country, the, the likes of Dettol, is to reduce the burden of illness, well, we're simply not going to be able to reduce the burden unless we are tackling some of these prickly challenges in regards to access. So we looked at it from a social dimension. Um, and we also looked at it from that business dimension that I referred to earlier. And with the, with the success of both other countries, I think we were able to find a pathway for Nigeria to come on board. And I think what we find is that having pilot results, having case studies, human stories, having the ability to prove the impact that the project is having and looking at that return on purpose from from an impact perspective, from a human human kind of capital perspective, looking at how we're kind of growing the reputation of the company. I think that becomes certainly a very attractive proposition for another market to get involved within, within the project. So Nigeria has been selected um, and we've got some great engagement with the local team of trying to tackle some of these problems. And this, of course, is feeding the rest of the work that's happening on behavior change, which is the heart of the core brands and what they're trying to do. How do we promote access via the accelerator and continue to promote access within communities, rural areas, urban centers? But then also, how do, how do you build those healthy hygiene practices and habits within these communities to begin to tackle that burden of disease I mentioned earlier with regards to diarrhea and others? So, this very much comes hand in hand with the behavior change work that's happening in schools, communities, midwife clinics around the world. So it's coupling together to feed the broader platform, which is called Clean Niger, which is all about how do you create a cleaner a Nigeria that's you know supporting the sustainable deliver, uh, development goal six 
and three on access to water and and good health, but then also supporting the broader government mandate, which is simply to kind of create a healthy Nigeria. So you look at the government um, objectives from a public health perspective, you tie that down to the brand portfolio, and then you get finally down into the programmatic structures of how you want to deliver the, the purpose on the ground. So that's how we, 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 Nigeria has come to light. So Monica, could you give us uh, an example of what that looks like concretely on the ground? Sure. Um, so in April, we closed um, the accelerator in South Africa. And one member of our cohort was uh, Kusini Waters and uh, the co-founder, Murandini Mafumo. So Kusini Water developed water treatment systems and water filters um, based on nanotechnology and macadamia nutshells. Um, and through that, um, they can really give access to clean water for communities that uh, previously didn't have it. Um, so don't ask me about the technical details, but it's a fascinating solution. And they were really ready to scale that. And throughout the program, they partnered with Darusha Naidu, who is a senior R&D quality associate in South Africa with Reckitt. Um, and both of them shared the story um, of their involvement in a recent masterclass that we at Unisocial Business um, did with them, where we also talked about the accelerator model. Um, so if you're interested, um, I sent you the link. You can put it into the show notes um, and you can hear from themselves what I'm now going to tell um, about them. So um, basically for, for Murindeni and Kusini Waters, the question really was um, about scaling. That was their motivation to to enter the program when they saw um, our ad or our, um, when we were reaching out throughout the scaling phase. Um, and they grew basically at the point where they were able to grow everything. Um, so the team, um, the reach of their product, um, their, their on-site location. Um, so a lot of things going on at the same time. And one of the challenges was how to secure the quality of their product, of, of the water filters that um, they do. Uh, when they cannot do it themselves anymore. That's how they started. Um, but now, um, of course, with scaling, that was not possible anymore. And they realized they needed a, a system for that, and especially a system that's compliant with health um, regulations. Um, and that was something very new to them, but something that was not very new um, to Darusha um, and her team. That's what she's been involved. Um, that's part of her daily business. Um, so accessing Darusha's expertise, um, and Murandani shared that they would have never been able to, to pay for that as a consulting service, for example. Um, he called it a gold mine. Um, and really to, to work with her, um, and learn from how processes in large organization uh, work, that was really something that he could not have had access to otherwise. And of course, in large organizations, processes and structures are everywhere. Um, and sometimes hard to see that in small organizations, everything needs to be built from the ground. And it's just a huge kind of leverage to not having to invent all of that uh, from, from the start and not reinventing the wheel there. Um, for Darusha, on the other side, uh, she shared how she was able to go to the new site of Christine Waters and really cater her expertise specifically to them. Um, so this was not a generic kind of do this and then do that, and this is how quality control, for example, works. Um, but she really did in-depth consulting on health and safety issues, on operations, um, on the quality control. And the key um, aspect, the key sort of driver that really um, took them to the next level was when she helped Cusini Waters to, to go beyond the program um, and to go beyond those individual issues, but really build a, qual a culture of quality control so that quality control is built into everything 
that they do. And that's an impact that goes way um, beyond the specific on-the-spot mentorship. Um, and both of them also shared um, how they personally developed a, a really great professional um, relationship. Darusha, in particular, said that she learned a lot from the entrepreneurial spirit um, of Lauren Denny and the team, um, and that she learned how, how vulnerability and, and the empathy um, that she was able to experience, how she can really use that to her advantage. Um, and she now um, is actually a multiplier um, for the whole program um, and brings in that intrapreneurial spirit within Reckitt. So to me, that's just a very beautiful example how that inside out and outside in spirit of an accelerator really comes to life. Okay, so just um, final question. Um, the, the name of this podcast is Sustainable Future. So I'd love to hear from you both. What role do you think impact accelerators could have in building sustainable futures? Uh, Monica, can I start with you? Yeah, um, as I said in the beginning, our mission at YSB is to make social businesses bigger and big business more social. Um, and corporate impact accelerators are a really great way to achieve both of that at the same time. Um, as Hamza explained, they answer to the needs of business as it is today. Um, we also see a huge transformative impact um, as corporate employees are involved. Um, and we really see that this goes beyond um, individual motivation and individual involvement, of which we see a lot. Um, but we really see that it, this has an impact um, on impact as a culture. Um, so to us, ideally within a large corporation, impact is not a department, but it's a culture that, that penetrates everything um, that the corporation does. Um, and we really see accelerators um, to help with that uh, because it's deeply embedded into the structures of a corporation. It's not an isolated kind of thing. It's tied back to the way that they do business. And uh, a lot of different employees from different departments um, and from different career level career levels um, are involved. And we, of course, also see the great social impact that these accelerators have um, on the ground, benefiting the social entrepreneurs and the local communities that they serve. Um, so for us, it's a really great way to transform relationships and to transform the way we do business and use business as a force for good. Thank you. Last word to you, Hamza. I think the role of the accelerators is is important. I think it will continue to be. I, th I think we see the learnings that you, the collaboration between a social business and a large corporate, the learnings and the transfer of knowledge is incredible. I think we're really trying to build you know, what does the entrepreneur look like on the inside? Someone who's trying to create change from within. Um, an entrepreneur who's leveraging the resources, capabilities, um, scale of a large business. How can we, how can we take, build this tribe of, of entrepreneurs within the organization who's helping to shift the way that business is done on a day-to-day -day basis? And I think the learnings that we take from the social businesses, that entrepreneurial spirit, the ability to take risks, the ability to innovate, look, look at new technologies, new solutions. Suddenly, there's a, there's a melding of the worlds when, when these things come together and where the magic happens. So it grows the capacity of our people and our talent, but also, of course, makes Reckitt a better business. So we're, we're leaning into some of those incredible traits that these entrepreneurs have. So I, th I think it's that's definitely one of the kind of core ways. And I think increasingly, we're seeing the integration that I referred to earlier with regards to those nodes, right? The, the link to brand purpose, the link to the value chain and the continued link for further investment. And I think just to give one final uh, part, just to see the, the value of this is when you think about social procurement and the role 
of business and how how a business like Reckitt is procuring, how it's looking at supply, how it's looking at its raw materials, how it's looking at various uh, suppliers. There's one of the one of the entrepreneurs that we've worked with um, in South Africa called EcoSoap Bank, an incredible organization. It's this very simple mission: they recycle waste soap from factories. Um, they recycle the waste soap. They create new bars of soap and they take that to deliver to refugees, um, communities, um, and they employ women to do that. And it's an incredible model where they're, they're taking, they're creating a zero waste future, but they're also helping to educate and provide access to soap in some of the hardest to reach vulnerable communities. And we partnered with them um, to actually wreck it being a huge soap manufacturer in South Africa, of course, we create waste on a day-to-day basis. So wh- how do we begin to integrate them as part of our value chain? So they became actually, they've, they've just recently done that. We're on our first pilot with them where they've taken our, some of our waste soap in our South African factory. They've been able to recycle some of that. And they're linking the recycling of that. They've employed women to do so, of course. And by recycling the soap, they're now actually feeding the new bars directly into our purpose programs with Dettol and the Hygiene Quest and the behavior change. So suddenly you've got a, a th- a, the cyclical wheel of supporting the social business, involving them in your supply chain, and they're becoming a social procurement from a record perspective, but also helping to grow the capacity of our purpose programs. So I see the, the role of the accelerators to evolve over time. I think they'll be far more integrated as part of the core business. And I think by integrating some of these learnings, I think it'll only improve the accelerators of the future. Thanks, Hamza. So um, we've covered a, a huge amount of ground in, in a very short space of time. So the definition of an accelerator and impact accelerator um, the role and relationship with a corporate uh, social impact strategy and the overarching strategy. And then you've both talked us through um, on-the-ground examples um, that you have been involved in together, along with how you see how the future rolling out. So thank you. It's been a privilege. And thank you for all of the work that you do, Hamza from Reckitt, Monica from Unisocial Business. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Sustainable Futures, a podcast from Kantar. For all episodes and more information, visit Kantar.com. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode.